on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. As men develop this genuine, compassionate intimacy with the feminine, they get this deep experience of empathy for people in their life who are feminine and for the feminine in general, that they can then genuinely stand up for the feminine. They can be like, okay, I'm actually going to back up the feminine now because I have now experienced in my own cells what the feminine is for me. And I also have come into contact with, with, with the grief of the feminine, with the pain of the feminine, with the need of the feminine, with the, with the ache of the feminine. And the same with women of what I've, when I've seen women gather to reconnect with, with their masculine aspect, there is a deep experience of compassion that is deeply embodied. It's no longer cognitive. A woman who's actually really traveled to the deepest layers of her own masculine has been able to forgive herself, has been able to accept herself, has been able to own that that is a part of her. She's a genuine ally for the masculine. What does it mean to be a man today? And what is masculinity reclaimed from the toxic patterns of domination and disconnection? In an era polarized by conflict and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the ancient and emerging mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of imaginal possibility. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Melissa Maya, a writer and artist who works as a feminine leadership and somatic intimacy guide. She is devoted to midwifing a culture that is rooted in the resurgence and remembrance of feminine intelligence and intuition. And in her own words, in service to women becoming obedient to their true nature. This conversation was sparked by a post from Melissa where she shared about her former experience as a domina, a female dominatrix, and what she discovered was most effective in inviting her male clients into a deeper surrender. I hear her story, as well as her explorations of isogeny, the capacity to shift between an integrated masculine and feminine polarity, as well as the intimacy that can develop through the path of radical transparency in relationship. A heads up before we begin. You can now connect to the Mythic Masculine on Substack. You are welcome to become a free subscriber and gain access to all public posts and episodes. If you are financially abundant, please consider becoming a paid subscriber for $5 a month. This supports me to continue the many hours of effort it takes to research and produce each episode. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. You'll get access to exclusive posts, episode transcripts, and more. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash supporter to join. And now, enjoy my conversation with Melissa Maya. Welcome, Melissa, to the show. Hi. <laughs> Grateful to have you here. Um, I love to start my interviews by asking my guests to share a little of where they are in this moment. So geographically, spiritually, whatever feels uh, to attune the listener to this time. Mm, yes. I'm in Berlin, in Kreuzberg, in kind of the, the 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 sexiest city of Europe it feels like in the we're having a heat wave and 
Yeah, there's there's this soft warmth that's available for me right now. I notice I notice a lot of a lot of like activation in my belly. I feel nervous and excited and warm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'd love to give a little situate situate the listener a bit too. What drew me to your work in particular? And um, one thing I did was I sort of went back through a number of your Instagram posts where um, you've you know offered these different poetic riffs, these dispatches uh, on your journey. And you know per- perhaps even before that, I'd love for folks to tune in. I feel like you have been on a bit of a mini tour at this moment. Uh, I understand through She Leads is, is the name mm-hmm, of it, but mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, it feels like you know you, again you've been on this like micro quest or something. So at least that appears to me from the outside, and maybe I'd love to hear a little bit of that how that journey has been for you before we dive in. Well, first of all, I love that you made a workshop made made, made She Leads feel like some kind of like feminine dominance vision quest. <laughs> yeah, so I've been I've been living in Mallorca for the last year and have been sitting on some questions around what the work that I'm doing wants to look like because I feel like I've been living two different lives in how I relate to the feminine and working with women and and working with the topic of power and sexuality and uh yeah and I've I, I've been coming back to Berlin and coming to London with the answer or kind of harv- beginning to harvest some answers in relation to the question of what is what is what is the what is the 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 retemplated reality of feminine leadership i feel like there's a resurgence of of it's kind of like a it's kind of like a glow up on female supremacy on what that wants to look mm-hmm. like it's like a redefinition of of matriarchy and um, Pardon me for kind of going on a bit of an elaborate riff here, but um, what I what I have felt has been happening in the collective mind like the last three years is that I feel like we've come to this point of understanding that we have this strong masculine wing on the right side of our kind of collective body. And this wing spans out wide and we've been able to fly and we've been able to expand and we've been able to advance technologically and being able to advance um, psychologically and in all these ways that are that have been beautiful. Yet also we've come to this place, I feel, of recognizing that there's this left wing that wants to grow and wants to span wide and feels like that's the wing of the feminine. And so I feel like we're in this kind of we're in this kind of harvesting of the seeds of what the answer to that could be of if the if the question is how can that left wing fly how can that left wing expand I feel that the answer is not necessarily anti patriarchy and pro matriarchy but it's almost like a third it's like a third route. And so I feel like I've been on a little bit of a vision quest through doing these workshops that feel more like a um, an ordinance, kind of an embodied ordinance survey of, mm. of that question of, okay, we know what it looks like as women to be in power with the right wing. We know what it looks like to be in a place of power over. We 
we know how to um we've known how to control we've known how to be how to be powerful and how to be dominant but do we know how to be how to lead from this place of the feminine do we know how to thrive from this place of the feminine which i feel is quite a contemporary technology and so yeah i've been been gathering some seeds mm-hmm. <laughs> there's many threads in there I mean, one actually what comes to mind is a quote, I think it was Michael Mead, but he talked about this uh, sense of the tension between opposites that leads to the third way, mm. right? Not to, not, to, not to have to choose either, but that by actually holding the tension, that new possibility emerges. Mm. And I hear that's, you know, what you're speaking to here. And also these themes of, of the feminine, uh, right relationship, um, domination, partnership, you know, all of this is much of what I've also uh, dived into in this podcast and in my film work, uh, particular Amplify Her, which was a, a film and a animated uh, illustrated series kind of blended together, which was uh, co-directed by Nicole Sorkin and, and brought many women and their talents together. And that to me was also a, a, an attempt to, to try to answer that question in a way. Mm. And the question we were asking in that film was, uh, what would happen if women felt really empowered and supported? Like what what would what would we be reap the harvest of in a way right like what are we missing out on because Mm -hmm. of the structures of society that create a sense of you know needing to close or needing to you know i hesitate to use the word safe because again safe can feel like you know like a lot of different things these days but i'll just say yes much of these themes of course are very much alive as well and that was also what drew me to you and this work because i do feel like you've been somewhat uh spelunking in in the caves of the feminine and and bringing back uh, aspects that you've been sharing. Um, I want to start even with super basic because, you know, I saw a post you'd written about your own journey with the feminine. And I was actually fascinated by what, what you read or what you wrote there, which, um, yeah, the challenge you had uh, with really coming to a, a relationship with the feminine or trusting the feminine and even so much so as uh, experimenting with testosterone and the rest. So, yeah, I would love to get a bit of that backstory of, how that journey has been for you to to kind of arrive even at a readiness to dive deep into the feminine. Mm, yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of that right wing span of the masculine, I feel in order for me to even understand the 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 size of the left wing of or to even understand my disconnection from the feminine i needed to really go very far into the masculine and yeah i mean whether it was because i was living in london and was living in a hyper hyper masculine world i was working in fashion um my my partner my, my partner was also working in fashion and it was just a very, in a way, it's like this, this fashion world, the fashion industry is perceived as, as very feminine, but it's actually very masculine because it's, it's really based off this right wing span of power over. There's a lot of competition and, and I mean, just, just to kind of like, whew, bring it, bring it back to me. I felt so alone in my own expression of the feminine because I felt that I I felt that my relationship with the feminine was not something that I could see examples of in the media. I felt like okay, so when I was younger, 
I felt like, okay, so all of the, all of the girls my age, they all look a certain way, but I'm really tall and I have, I have more armpit hair than any of the boys in my school. And I was so sure, I was so sure that I was perhaps not supposed to be a girl, you know, it's like, so I've, I'm told that to be feminine is to look a certain way, to be feminine is to be this way. And so this cookie cutter kind of patriarchal and limited, limited representation of the feminine just really disconnected me as a young girl. And so because I didn't feel archetypically feminine, I told myself that I am not feminine. And so in order to belong because it felt important to belong in something, to be, to be something. It felt, it felt interesting to move closer to what I was told constantly that I was like, you know, I was in many ways, I felt like I was celebrated for my masculinity. And even now to this day, that's still something that often happens. You know, I see it happen in, in, in more subtle ways though, and I can check it. And I can just kind of check it off as a symptom of the patriarchy or as a symptom of our collective disconnect from the feminine. If somebody, if somebody tells me that they really love um, my voice or that I am perceived as very powerful, I, I learn to just check that off as, as something that is, is, yeah, it's, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. And so I feel that that's so powerful. That's so that's been so important for my own journey of understanding that my own disclaimer of the feminine is absolutely individual because my connection to the feminine is about me coming back home to my intuition, and that's totally unique. And I think that's really important when it comes to the whole, yeah, women reconnecting with their feminine and the resurgence of the feminine. It's, it's not possible to do it in a cookie cutter way, in a copy and paste way. It's not possible, it's not possible to just kind of do a list or even draw an image of what the feminine is because we actually don't know. I feel that we haven't really, we don't really have, we don't, we don't really understand yet. This is also, again, the conundrum that you highlighted, which is how to talk about something which feels like the, the Tao really, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. This is kind of what it feels like anytime there's this conversation because often it does get shipwrecked on uh, ideas or politics around gender, hmm. right? And, and at the same time, there's something that I've arrived at is when you're in the presence of, again, let's just say the feminine mm -hmm. or the experience of the feminine, it just feels like true. It just feels true. And yet to describe or justify it often feels very difficult. And so what happens often is that therefore there's this sort of reactivity around this idea of, well, that's gendered words. And like, th there's a lot of a sense that why, why do we need gendered words to describe these things, you know, mm -hmm. but yet, and yet, right, there seems to be some kind of archetypal patterning uh, and pathways. And so, you know, you said this uniqueness of the feminine is sort of unique to everyone. And yet there also seems to be recognizable patterns and templates um, of, of approaching like is then you teach women to mm -hmm. to approach these things right so obviously there's some kind of verifiable recognizable uh something in there mm -hmm. as well so mm -hmm. again i'd love to hear a little bit of you know what have you learned through this 
like you said, you existing perhaps mostly in a masculine way or trying to fit in to a masculine uh, society and yet transgressing out of it, right? Uh, what were the things you began to notice in yourself or what were some of the consequences from actually stepping out of performing in ways that you were valued for in the past? Oof, such a good question. And something I wanted to add on to the topic of the feminine, especially in relation to also into the gender topics. I also, I, I want to keep, I want to keep one, one, one finger in that pot while we're still at it. Well, I feel like while we're talking about the feminine, I feel like the gender, the gender like story will come, will come with us. And I feel like it's coming with us anyway. Anthropologically, I feel like that's these questions are so necessary along the way of finding the answer. Um, so when I was, when I was in my, when I was, when I was transgender and when I was taking testosterone, I started doing a, a feminine, well, actually it was a, it was a flint. So in, in Europe, I don't know whether you have it. Um, I don't know whether you folks have it so much or whether it's just a, or whether it's just a Berlin thing of flint. So female, lesbian, yeah, like intersex, non-binary and trans. Do you have this? Hmm. Do you have? I, I haven't heard the word used out here, but it's possible. But yeah, I haven't heard it used much. So we're we're using that in queer spaces to essentially say that it's basically everybody but cisgender man, and essentially everybody but everyone except um, cisgender men can come to this event. That's essentially what it says. And so, so I was hosting. I was hosting a queer a queer sleepover party that was for the Flint community in Berlin. And I really wanted it to feel like a feminine celebration for anybody who is, who is afraid of their feminine, who is, who is kind of resistant of the feminine, but also wants to really celebrate their feminine and have a safe space where the feminine can just be unconditionally celebrated, not consumed, not fetishized, not exploited, just just nourished and shared and healed, perhaps. Mm. Um, and one of the one of the people on my team was a trans man, and and he's a super feminine trans man, and he also self identified as a feminine trans man. And when I was telling him all about the concept for the party, he was like, "Hey, why don't you just why don't you just call it a feminine sleepover party?" Because <laughs> that's what I was calling I was calling it a feminine sleepover party but I had this I had this shame I had this shame around even allowing the word feminine to be part of it all because it's like I felt that it wasn't cool I felt that it was also I felt that it was also too gendered there's so much weight on this word and it's it's naive it's naive to imagine that there that there wouldn't be baggage on this word i mean it's it's like centuries worth of baggage right you can't say the word feminine without there being some some uh some echo of something that is not neutral yeah alex is his name alex taught me a lot in that moment about my own shame around the feminine he said look i'm a feminine trans man if you want people in the space who identify with or as feminine in some way if they don't identify as feminine that they can identify with the resurgence of the feminine then i think it's great that you use the word feminine and actually that that that's that really catalyzed my own journey with the feminine and ultimately is what 
what pulled me away from 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 needing needing and wanting to move towards um, yeah transitioning and allowing myself to at least sit in the center with that question for a little bit longer enough to understand what was really going on for me. So, and what was really going on for you? Oof, a disconnect from my womb, total disconnect from my womb. So, uh, I imagine it's, I imagine it's, you know, in, in 10 years time or something like this, this will be like the butterfly tattoo of, (laughs) say I have the most cliche story of go of going of going to going to Bali and having yeah and having and having a womb having having womb orgasms having having this having this very physiological transformative experience happening in my body quite spontaneously from being on that island and that like the question of my own relationship with the feminine in combination with this very spontaneous kundalini awakening in my body was enough for me to understand that okay I was disconnected from a a simple experience of feeling good in a female body like the simple experience of feeling I enjoy my body I enjoy being a woman I don't need to do anything outsource anything I just feel good. It feels good to be in a female body. Hmm. That strikes me then as a as a sensual attunement, right? It's sort of a, a a foundational sensual attunement with with oneself, with embodiment, and with life. Mm-hmm. And there does seem to be as well, though, a gateway through sexuality, power, like these dynamics. These were very alive in the film amplify her as well because we really saw this link between creativity uh, and sexuality and power and maybe a different kind of power and of course there's a character there uh, her name is samantha matthews she goes by blondtron but yeah her character within the film like she very clearly says even in the trailer she's like you know on the one hand in this society um you know i I, i'm sort of a high-powered ceo you know living out my dreams and yet i can't also be a dj that talks about sex and vaginas and stuff and like those two aren't allowed to coexist in the dominant culture as it is and Mm -hmm. yet that pathway is actually they're they're one in the same in some sense right to have that conduit available and so i'd love to hear you speak a bit on that like what was it to that sensual awakening that actually grounded you right in uh, kind of a whole other reality it feels like oh so good just as you were saying that I, i noticed that there was like quite a quite a volcanic experience happening in my body of yeah of, of feeling blonde tron is her name right you said blonde tron mm-hmm. yeah blonde tron yeah. wow thank you for thank you for calling in blonde tron <laughs> <laughs> so good so epic yeah yeah that that multi-dimensional reality of woman was exactly what i experienced on a physical level of oh whew. okay so society so like so many things outside of me have told me that if I am, if my voice has a low tone, if I'm tall, if I'm, if I'm X, Y, Z, if I'm all these things, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm super creative, if I'm like, if I'm, if I'm all of these things that I'm, if I'm all of these things that are like not feminine, that I'm not feminine. 
And through having this very female, this like liberated experience in my female body that showed me I am deeply feminine and I'm deeply feminine because I allow myself to be multidimensional and have all of these facets. I realized like, ooh, that is, that is the code. That is what feminine is for, for me in particular. For me in particular, what it means is, whew, I allow all of these expressions to pour out of me because I trust them all, because they're all coming from my intuition. And it's, yeah, it's this, it's this, also the parrot, the paradox, the paradox of woman is fascinating to me is that we can be one thing and many things at once. And this is why I do a lot of womb work as well. And this is kind of like the journey of where I'm going of that. I've gone from using tools and gone from even doing a lot of shadow work and a lot of leadership work and facilitation training and facilitator training and things like this. And more and more and more, my work is refining down and down and down, distilling down into being womb, body work, womb work. Um, Because ultimately that's where I found liberation. That was kind of, that was really the tipping point for me. And I really feel that this physical experience can be quite a, quite a fundamental tipping point for a lot of people who are in a female body because it's that it's that recognition that it's not cognitive it's not a cognitive you know we can read so as anybody like women men any anybody can read a book and can you know <laughs> listen we can all cognitively receive this code but it's that physical that physical imprint has been so important for me. And I feel that it is the thing that tips us over from the concept of the feminine being important right now to the recognition of it being essential right now. Yeah. Thank you for that. I understand uh, one of your uh, past lives as well, or in this life was to also be uh, a feminine domina. And that was something that uh, also caught my eye on one of your posts uh, because you talked about this idea of what it takes to create a safe sp- space for men to take off their armor. And, um, and there's more you say there, but before we get to that, I mean, I'd be curious, how, does, how did you find your way into that reality? And, uh, and what did you learn there sort of on the way to this recognition of at least being in the presence of men and what actually coaxes them into you know, a different way, maybe out of uh, a kind of domination paradigm of, of power over. Mm, oof. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about the, the other day, I was like, okay, so what is it that, what is it that really pulled me into this? Or what was the, what was the practical moment that I actually started doing this? And I was working, I was working in a bar in London and there was a man that would come into the bar. And I don't know, have, have you ever worked in a bar, by the way? Have you ever worked behind a bar? Because this would be relevant to ask you about it. <laughs> well, I did, I did a bit of sort of a initial training to be, you know, to, to serve drinks. It's in Australia, actually. But I, I didn't get the job because there was some uh, hot Swedish women that got it instead. <laughs> totally understand. Uh, at least for yeah. that clientele, that was, more, that was more intriguing to the general populace than me. But that's all my experience. Totally fair enough. Well, um, so I feel that working on a bar, you're kind of, 
you're kind of a bit of a, you're a bit of a therapist. You're a bit of like a corner shop therapist for people. And there was a man that would come in that was, that kind of became my Monday client. And he kind of became my kind of like bar, bar side uh, therapy client on a Monday. And one, and one day he just, he just, he just straight up asked me, he said, do you do, he said, you know, do you, do you offer, do you offer some kind of, you know, he kind of was like, do you offer, do you do, are you a domino? He got that. He was like, I got to get a bit of a vibe from you that you're a domino. I'm like, if, if I was a domino, I would not be working in a bar. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and he became, he, he became my first, he became my first client that I would see. And I realized that, okay, so this is something that I actually have access to this. It felt absolutely intuitive and it felt intuitive for him and with him, first of all, because I felt a lot of care for him. You know, it's like, I, I knew him already. We already had, we had a nice connection. I had a lot of empathy and compassion for him. And there was this, there was this feeling of it, of it being very intuitive in any way. There's in my own personal life, my, my, my ex-partner was also working as a sex worker. So he was already, he was already working in that, but that was my first experience of allowing myself to move into that. So whether, whether or not, whether or not it was because of my circumstance of having a partner that it was, that was already working with that, you know, we, in our, in my personal life, I was already cultivating a lot of tools. I was kind of secondhand learning a lot of things through my own experiences, but also through my partner. And then, I, and then I allowed myself to, to move into that, but it was kind of circumstantial. It was kind of groovy in a way of like, okay, so somebody comes towards me and, this is also happening for me. So it felt almost felt kind of mythopoetic in a way. Like it felt like, a, okay, so there's a, there's a larger invitation to move into this and to work with this. Well, that's quite a leap though. I mean, like you say, you, you had a partner that also seemed to be in this world. You were picking up um, maybe the approach to this, but yeah, to get asked to the bar, Hey, do you do this kind of thing? And you're just like, well, I could. <laughs> and then stepping into it. Uh, I'm curious too, what did you draw on? Because, you know, you mentioned in your post, this idea of the, 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 the sort of dominant feminine, which, um, you know, I think also comes from uh, a kind of yeah, a domination masculinity. It's like the fantasy is to be domed more than they're used to doming. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's this kind of, you can see why the kink operates in there. I think because I think for a lot of men who are in charge all the time, you know, quotations, the possibility of actual surrender right, to, to a feminine other that is inviting into like a different kind of dominance, not dominated by a man per se, mm -hmm. or maybe certainly not by a cis man within that context, but mm -hmm. something about the, the, the aggressive uh, female dominant, right, is, is a particular kink archetype. But you seem, maybe you tried it on or maybe then felt it wasn't quite true, or I'm curious how you navigated that and then where you arrived at in terms of what actually seemed, what maybe the deeper longing was for a man in that space. Mm, mm, thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Such a good question. Yeah, because there is, there is, a, there is a necessary distinction to make um, that I'm happy that I'm happy that you begin to discriminate between those two. And obviously there's a whole world of different archetypes, but let, just focusing on these two main archetypes of, uh, of kind of archetypal dominance and feminine dominance. And yeah, so <laughs> it's for, for me, what I felt straight away as soon as I started doing that work was, 
when someone, when somebody would say to me, for, so I worked a lot with rope. So that was where I, I worked mostly with, with rope bondage. And that was, that felt that, that, that already is very feminine because in order to work with the rope, it's, you have to be very intuitive. You have to, there needs to be a lot of presence because it's, it's straight up dangerous. You know, you can really hurt someone if you're not really listening. So to, to, to yield rope bondage in a kind of clumsy, overly masculine, like super dominant and aggressive manner would be super dangerous so anyway, it comes with the territory to be very sensitive. What I learned through through the medium of, of using rope bondage, but also allowing there to be other aspects like psychological dominance and just kind of even just verbal dominance and and yeah, and through also through tantric domination, I understood that there it's that there is a difference between let me just see if I can get this right. It's like, so when I would be using rope, if somebody would say, I want, if somebody would say, I want more rope or I want it to be tighter or I want more, I understood that actually they needed, they needed less intensity and they actually needed more presence because it's the desire. It's just the desire to be, it's the desire to be led and the desire to be felt is so it felt so strong and there's only so far you can go if somebody wants to go very deep there's only so deep you can go through intensity because quickly the the physical body gets very numb and also just psychologically we when we become overwhelmed we become numb and we freeze so i learned kind of quickly and also i'm a body worker and i've always been a body worker so it's for me i, I learned very quickly that in order to take a nervous system somewhere deep, it requires less rather than more. And that, that is, that is the thing that I, that I perceived the most. It felt very similar actually to me doing a bodywork session and doing a, doing a feminine dominant session felt so similar, absolutely parallel. Just the, the, the medium was different or the, the mood was different, but really the intention was exactly the same. Mm. A few threads in there. Yeah, really I'm struck by, I mean, one is, well, yes, intensity, that intensity is sort of a, it's a short runway, it, it feels right. Like I've also spent time in the kink realm, the BDSM realm. And yeah, oftentimes when there is a craving for intensity, it is to get out of my head, right? Mm -hmm. it's because it feels like uh, it's a way out of just thinking about stuff, you know, in, into the body. And yet, of course, it can obliterate everything, which is part of the draw sometimes, right? To just be obliterated into like zero point consciousness, right? Totally. And yet, I also hear you saying that there's a sense or maybe a deeper desire in those encounters for more presence. Mm -hmm. And so that's where my curiosity goes as well, because what is the presence? Maybe I could say this, if, in a dominant based paradigm, there's this longing to be overpowered right? And, and maybe mm. uh, in the context of a man, right? To be overpowered is, is part of the kink, because in a way, I asked the question, well, what's on the other side of being overpowered? Well, it's surrender, mm. right? And, but then what is surrendered? The gateway to, right? And there's something in there which feels true around, um, like, tenderness, you know, like being held, like all these other capacities or, or experiential realms, 
which typically are are off limits in dominance culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like are there are there it's too unsafe to arrive in those places when there you know you're on you're on vigilance, right? You're often on vigilance, and I've, I've been in lots of men's spaces very similar when there's a sense of you know when a when a type of trust develops amongst men, it's almost like the feminine arrives hmm. actually right yeah. when when trust is there that they're okay we're not in competition with each other we're not you know there's a drop drop the hierarchies and then all of a sudden there's actually a more sensitive often tenderness right that develops between men like automatically and even though a lot of men don't necessarily even know that that's what they're going for right mm -hmm. um that might why they might originally be drawn to it so there's this again it's an interesting paradox because so much of, I think, our, our understandings of yeah, relational dynamics and, and even gender, right, when they're colored through the lens of domination culture, uh, and, and but you don't know that that's the, the lens you're looking through, mm -hmm. right? It kind of, it, it gives a very limited palette of understanding. Right? And so I hear in what you're saying, you're, yeah, you're inviting in a different lens of, of seeing a different kind of ecosystem of relationality and power, which is... Uh, sort of absolutely vital, of mm -hmm. course, to the times because, of course, domination culture is also uh, sort of run aground on its own limitations. Yeah, I mean, and also, I want to I want to add a little bit of a distinction here because I I think not to say that that um, I mean, feminine dominance includes dominance. Mm -hmm. So, so also, I want to speak to that to that to that important piece there of like. So it's not about, it's not, for me, what I love about feminine dominance or what I love about my own journey of it and what I see women experiencing when they integrate the, integrate their own unique archetypal expression of what feminine dominance is, is that I feel that it's, it's this iso isogyny embodied, this kind of my new favorite neuroanthropological <laughs> term, isogyny. It's this, it's, it's different to androgyny. It really feels like a, it's like it's like a fully integrated person, a person who's integrated their masculine and feminine, and and they yeah they have this this realization of sacred union within themselves. What I love about feminine dominance and what I've learned so much from it is that it is this isogyny embodied. It really feels like this isogenic philosophy in the cells of I listen and I lead and. I am connected to my center, I'm connected to above and I'm connected to below and I lead from that place. And from that, it's so, it's so, it is this, it is this union of femininity and dominance that there's something, there's something profoundly healing about women coming into contact with that and profoundly healing about men coming into contact with that of like recognizing, recognizing the masculine heart and recognizing the feminine need to surrender within the male body. And so, yeah, there is, there is something kind of interesting about feminine dominance because I feel like it's, it's kind of like an exterior mirror for what a man could potentially integrate within himself. I mean, most of the time, men would come to me not with this cognitive desire to integrate that right that i mean that would be that would be badass if a man would come to me and say okay i really just need to see an isogenic embodiment and then once i've seen it i can kind of like I, my cells can soak it up 
And then I can begin to walk from that place myself and I can, I don't need to outsource it anymore. I don't need to be looking to dominant women who overpower me in order to like integrate that under-resourced part of myself. <laughs> I like that word a lot. Yeah. Iso, iso, isogeny. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 And I appreciate that a lot, this idea of this integration. And because uh, of course, certainly heard androgyny, and I think many people have, but when I think of the word as well, now in that context, I mean, because etymology is always interesting to me too, but are you familiar with what an andro means in terms of the androgyny? Does that mean sort of no, no gender? I, I, typically that's how it usually is meant, right? To say you're androgynous, like no discernible gender is at least, you know, colloquially how it's translated. Um, and I'd be curious, maybe the listener as well could chase that down, uh, but in, in the andro part, but I, isogyny as well now is very interesting as a as an invitation, of course, right? Because also certainly that idea, right, of integrating one's own masculine and feminine, you know, has been around now for some time. And, you know, I, I think of, again, those pairings, though, you said feminine dominance. And so what would be the mirror to that would be masculine surrender? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Feminine dominance and masculine surrender. It's a good name for a workshop. <laughs> And how, how have you seen that then in your experiences with men or, you know, or, or not seen it or maybe seen it be a tough threshold to cross maybe in your relationships, in your own partnerships, mm. you know, how has that played itself out? Poor, such a good question. And I feel like I would be, I feel like I would be like taking, taking on different roles to answer the questions from different places from this kind of, M Melissa, mm. Melissa circa 2017 feminine domina and who I am now and the relationships that I'm having now and the experiences I'm having now would be very different. <laughs> They'd be very different. Mm -hmm. um, well, we could start with the current maybe. How about that? Yeah, groovy. It feels almost like a natural consequence that when, that when, that when I'm, that when I'm, in my isogynic embodiment, that when I'm showing up to the table with my masculine online and with my feminine online, then I feel like that necessarily, it necessarily creates an environment where my partner or whoever I'm with can also show up in that way. And I've also noticed that if I'm, yeah, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like an equation of physics. It's like, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm kind of, if my volume is low on my masculine, then it also is affecting the volume on, on the volume on the barometer of the, of masculinity for the person that I'm sat in front of. And to be honest with you, it's very much like a, it's kind of a, I'm still, I'm still kind of collecting the ingredients of this cookbook of the question that you proposed, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so it, yeah, it's, it's, it's in progress, but what I'm finding currently is really in order to, in order for in order for anybody to surrender at the hands of my leadership, whether that be a group of people, whether that be myself and my own selves, or whether that be my partner or, or my lover or whoever, it really feels that it's a it's it's a consequence of how connected I am to my own vertical axes. So I've been coming up with this kind of like tantric mathematics recently of the horizontal axes, the, the vertical axes and the horizontal axes. And in order to step into like deep 
power, deep feminine power or deep isogenic power requires being in this vertical axis. So rather than being a rather than being in this horizontal axis of being aware how I'm perceived of, of and of sending my energy outwards, it's more of a connecting to the skies, connecting to my center, connecting to the ground. And from that place I'm able to deeply surrender. And when I when I'm able to deeply surrender and I also I also feel that it's on a physiological level, I feel like it's the the wisdom of plant medicine as well, this kind of theta brainwave state of I am absolutely present and alert, but I'm also calm and my imaginal cells are online. It's like the, um, the imagination is online and I'm able to dream and I'm in, a, and I'm, and an, I'm in an active state physically. I'm sitting I'm not sleeping. I'm absolutely conscious, but my imaginal cells are beginning to wake up and I'm able to surrender that bit more. In It's like this theta brainwave state. Uh, and that's what I feel feminine dominance has been on a very physiological level for me. You could call it you could call it like flow state or whatever you want to call it, but I really feel it's this deep state of presence and deep capacity to imagine and you creating from that place. And so when I'm in that state, my partner is super, super, super available for surrender. And when I'm not in that state, nobody is available for surrender. <laughs> That's well put. Uh, because it, it feels like it requires a, I mean, again, there's this question of safety, but I, I don't know if it's safety. I, I usually like the word contact. Mm. Which is which is actually drawn from my time at Tamera, uh, which you you probably know some something uh. of a community in Portugal. Um, yeah, for the last eight years or so, I've been uh, making a film about the community. Uh, you know, with two other filmmakers, we're now in the midst of touring. But they have a really beautiful principle of contact, right? To be in contact, and for me, that's very much like what you're describing. It's it's this kind of like um, active receptivity. Uh, that there's also a principle of the community as a whole, but I mean, in terms of relationship, I see for me, you know, I've had conversations even in the podcast around the difference between consent and contact, mm. right? Because I think right. often even con consent can be a bit um, like consent can be out of contact. That's one way I'd say it, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, for whatever conditions might be going on, uh, whatever unknownness that someone even has to themselves, you know, giving, giving consent in a moment, but then, you know, if they really checked in and they had time, maybe it wasn't, a yes or you know there's all these ways in which the situation you know can seem like it's consensual and then but actually not be and contact for me is also a principle that is like co-committed to by by everyone involved that we're sort of all monitoring the level of contact like like within the field or within the encounter mm -hmm. and so again it's hard to surrender i think if, if you don't feel the other person's in contact right that's mm -hmm. when i would say it like you know if they're if they're just you know, not there or they're distracted or putting a projection over top, you know, of mm -hmm. the situation. And so, yeah, I, I appreciated the way you described that as well. Like a, like the quality of being as well. Um, that, that translates to that sense of, yeah, I think imaginal possibility within the encounter itself, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Oof. And I love this. I love this concept of contact 
um, in, in conjunction with the consent as well, because that is something that's so important. It's something I've been feeling as well for a long time of that I really feel that the conscious community could learn a lot from the kink community and the kink community could learn so much from the conscious community because, because of the aspect of, of presence and but the aspect of communication is so vital and beautiful from the BDSM community. This the literacy. It's like the the sexual literacy is 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 really mm. is really powerful. I mean it's empowering to it's empowering to be able to to, to to speak to speak and to even cognitively associate yourself with what you want or what you need is is so empowering. And it's even more empowering when when you're able to really create that space to to listen and connect as well, so I'm happy that you speak to this, the these two different ways of negotiating connection. Well, I'd love to bring in now another thread too, which is, I mean, in some ways spirals back, but it it refers to another post you wrote, um, which I think was either inspired by or in parallel to the restoring masculinity uh, journey that uh, I curated with Advaya. But you spoke uh, or you wrote that masculine is not a man, hmm. right? The masculine is not a man. Uh, and, and you wrote, you know, there's, there's a beautiful post there, but a couple a couple elements you spoke to, which I thought were intriguing to bring in. But you said, uh, he is the part of us that knows how to father forward and foster a new way of loving, hmm. a new way of loving and an emergent take on spiritual paternity. Because this turning, the great turning will simultaneously require a grounded mother, a feminine rising, and a fathered encouragement. Oof. Yeah. And you said more. That's pretty good when you get your words read back to you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but I'd love to hear a little bit of that. Yeah, exactly. Like what, what do you speak of there too? Because it, you know, mm -hmm. it is, if I look out on the scene, right. Of the, the kind of cultural moment, of course, the, the sense that patriarchy, wrong, evil. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, fatherhood gets sort of tossed under often, not, not purposely in many ways, but, it sort of feels like a dead end in some ways, you know, but, uh, but of course it's totally understandable. And yet at the same time you have these um, kind of masculine revival. I mean, I think that's actually the name of the Instagram account, but these guys that are like, <laughs> no, the religious, you know, order of hierarchy of the man and woman, like that was the way it was supposed to be. And we all have to get back there, you know, clearly uh, the, the, the agenda of the, you know, the trans woke folk, you know, they're, they're clearly the devil. And so it's clear that there's some kind of binary, you know, blind spots going on right on, on both sides. And so I just appreciate your languaging around this idea, right? Of this, the spiritual paternity. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. again, I wonder if you could offer a bit of, of how that lands for you not necessarily, you know, the, the post, which was maybe mm -hmm. just a transmission mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. moment. No, 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 no. But I how that lives it. in you. Yeah. In this moment too. Totally. Um, well, when you say that, you know, what, what comes to me is that what I feel um, I've been doing actually, well, I've I realized I realized the last couple of years that what I feel like I've actually been doing is masculine integration work for women, <laughs> even though, mm. even though I'm using the word feminine and a lot of it is the, the, it's like the destination is the feminine for sure. Like the destination I'm going with women in all of the work that I'm doing and even with men, like with the intimacy work that I'm doing with couples, it's it's always the destination is the feminine because that's where so much healing can happen. Yet in order to actually get there, I realized that I'm doing and, and what I'm really turned on to do is a lot of masculine integration work of being able to 
being able to communicate. So I do a lot of, I do a lot of like voice activation work with women in order to actually be able to own, to be able to take ownership of your reality. It's necessary to be able to communicate what it is that you need and what you want. And in many ways, what I feel, what I feel drawn to doing is nurturing this kind of spiritual paternity in the bodies of men and women. I think it's so essential that all of us know, I don't mean to get all preachy here. I think I want to kind of like roll, like bring myself back a little bit and just come back to this neutral place of, yeah, spiritual, spiritual paternity. It's, it's something that we can nurture, whether you're in a male body or a female body, you know, spiritual maternity is something you can also nurture, whether you're in a male body or a female body, whether you, whether you identify as, as man or woman also. And this is where, this is where I want to bring it back to the, the integration and the isogeny. It's like the isogenic parenthood that I feel is really something we want to move towards this agility and this is something I wanted to mention also around surrender and safety. I, my nervous system feels most safe with people, men or women, who are agile in the way they relate to masculinity, femininity, um, creativity, receptivity, like listening and leading. When I'm in a room of people that I feel are able to kind of respond to what the moment needs, rather than being assigned the project of the masculine or the feminine, uh, I feel most safe with 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 that with that climate, and um, that's what that's where I surrender deeply. Because when I feel that people are dropped into their center and trusting the moment rather than placing their agenda on the reality, uh, that's where I feel that that depth can really happen. So this paternity, uh, I want to. I, I, it's quite wide for me because I feel that I'm doing in a way masculine masculine development work with women in order to in order to connect with the feminine because that was my own journey of having to having to traverse deeply like a lot of roles that are very masculine to understand what the feminine is for me and i think that can be a very valuable journey of finding your true north by exploring very wide right mm-hmm yeah, you used a number of phrases there. One, you know, around an agility. I think you said right. A, uh, I think it was. I don't know, emotional agility or or agility, gender agility. Yeah, something along those lines. You know, I like that that sense a lot, right? To be agile, and also this idea that the feminine is the destination. And it's interesting to me because I've also interviewed a fellow named Alan B. Chinnon, who wrote a book called Beyond the Hero. And this came out, it's all fairy tales that are sort of like midlife onward for men. And uh, it sort of came out just after Iron John and Robert Bly. And, you know, that was like the whole initial mythopoetic bloom. And this came out sort of quietly along the side. And so I've actually interviewed him on the uh, podcast. Maybe I'll put him in the show notes. But he has this idea that there's this progression of men in their relationship uh, and essentially their maturation process that they initially uh, fear the feminine. Right. There's this fear of the feminine uh, and a fascination. Right. Mm. And and I think that's true, actually, for a lot of men who are sort of in the in the unintegrated stages, because this is maybe where you get into maybe young would call it anima possession or, you know, something like that. Right. Where there's this this kind of fear and fascination, this misunderstanding or lack of understanding, this projection outward. Right. Of a kind of ever maidenhood. 
right? That women in, in patriarchal society are forced to endure uh, until, of course, then their mother, for a time, they're celebrated, right? Generally, the glow of, of new life. And then afterwards, it's like, okay, no longer a maiden, right? And you're kind of shuffled along to cronehood, which, of course, there's no place for crones in the dominant culture, um, sort of invisibility, really, for older women. And, and of course, the tragedy of that. But there's this sense of this fear and fascination, though, is is inviting an integration or a possibility of integration. So I would characterize so much of men's work over the last couple of decades has been integration to, with the feminine, right? Mm. Uh, which which makes sense, again, when you look at the culture as a whole and uh, kind of trying to come through a domination culture. But that's what's interesting that Alan B. Chinon says is on the other side of that integration, there's the deep masculine. Right, is what he calls it, which is actually, again, it's a, it's a whole other terrain and territory and almost primordial wellspring, right, of this calls it the deep masculinity. And uh, and that to me feels like so far off, right, from the sort of contemporary moment in a way when, yeah, the grappling with the feminine, at least with, with contemporary men's work, is very much alive. And yet, of course, there is this agility beginning to develop in the rest. And I just wanted to leave that as a, as a kind of parallel sense right that that's at least what i've been tracking on my side it's actually a lot of feminine integration necessary feminine integration um as that stage and then but there's then there's something on the other side of it and you know last thing i might say is maybe for men uh maybe it's service to the feminine right mm. that, like that that to me feels like a a kind of ultimate orientation of course of of this sort of you know wondrous inherent generativity of life itself which is you know if i don't know what or the, that's not the divine i mean, i don't know what else is <laughs> well well uh, what i what i want to speak to on that is uh, this this there's an echo there's an echo that i want to speak to of as men as men gather to integrate the feminine and to get become intimate with the feminine they they na- they naturally develop this huge what i've seen happen anyway um what I've seen happen through seeing men do men's work and just seeing that happen. I feel that men, as men develop this genuine, compassionate intimacy with the feminine, they get this deep experience of empathy for people in their life who are feminine and for the feminine in general, that they can then genuinely stand up for the feminine. They can be like, okay, I'm actually going to back up the feminine now because I have now experienced in my own cells what the feminine is for me. And I also have come into contact with, with, with the grief of the feminine, with the pain of the feminine, with the need of the feminine, with the, with the ache of the feminine. And the same with women of what I've, when I've seen women gather to, to kind of reconnect with the ancestral masculine information in their cells, because it's there, because we have ancestral masculine and feminine information, you know, whether you believe in past lives or not, it's like, I feel I just have this feeling that we that we that we remember being men as women too, and that can be a bit confusing. Of like, okay, I I have very male experiences as as a woman, and when women gather to reconnect with with their masculine aspect, there is a deep experience of compassion 
that is deeply embodied. It's no longer cognitive. So that level of empathy and compassion means that a woman can genuinely stand up as an ally to the masculine in a much deeper way than a woman who has a cognitive concept of wanting to be able to support the softening and the relaxation and the the opening of the deep masculine. A woman who's actually really traveled to the deepest layers of her own masculine has been able to forgive herself, has been able to accept herself, has been able to own (laughs) that that is a part of her. She she's a genuine ally for the masculine. Mm. Thank you for that. You know, there's echoes of uh, Pat McCabe, you know, the indigenous grandmother who has also been on the podcast here. And and yeah, she really had spoken to that as well, like her own journey, of course, through that integration and through that deep compassion. And uh, it's like another kind of power becomes possible. Right. And I mean, at least for her, the, the episode that we did uh, for, for the podcast here uh, was it was called Thriving Life in a Prayer for All Men. And at the end of that episode, she she, you know, somehow it came out like she wanted to or I asked her, like, could she just offer a blessing for a man? And, uh, you know, by the end of it, I'm in tears. She's in tears. I get emails fairly regularly from men who are like, I was in tears by the end of that, you know, just being blessed by an older woman right who was just like hey i see i see you i see that you want to rise i see you you know calling forth it's such a different energy than you know you're awful be less worse right and not saying that that that's, that has to be sometimes the case too you know for for yeah. trespass and and the rest but yeah there's something else i think on the other side that truly calls forth that uh that imaginal possibility I mean, there's, yeah, it's, it's, I I feel that, I feel that deeply. I've seen incredible things. I've seen incredible things happen. And it's like getting a group of, I've seen incredible things happen of women coming together and just being broken open by their own, their own, their own recognition of their own internalized misogyny, their own internalized oppressors, their own internalized patriarchy and the ways that that shows up for them and the ways that their own masculine has mishandled other people and mishandled themselves and being able to go, oh, oh, it's a lot. And when we can really understand that we're all working through this together and some of us are born in a, in a male body and carry that weight in a more overt way. And, and some of us, you know, it's like, we were all, we, we all working on it together. We all, we are all really doing it together. Yeah, we're doing it together. Well, we just have a few minutes left, I think, in our in our conversation here. And uh, I couldn't let you get away without reading a little bit of one of your latest posts, which feels like a good place to, to kind of leave us with, which is, uh, I believe you wrote it on Underslept on a Flight to London, something like that, <laughs> under modern, modern love. But uh, here's what you say, and I'll just read it back to you. <laughs> People, we are on the brink of something very cool. There's a revolution available in the hearts of every single lover who chooses to risk it all for the intimacy of transparency. If you're in a relationship right now, there are only two options. Either you will bloom or go insane. Which one will you choose? Let's bloom together, Ian. Let's do it. (laughs) 
I love that intimacy of transparency. Yeah, as well. And I, I feel like there's something in that as well, which feels like one of the radical gateways that you're advocating for. And uh, that's what I'd love to just spend a bit more time just to close us out here is, yeah, what does that mean to you? Or what has it become to mean to you? And what's required of partners, lovers to really be in that dojo of the intimacy of transparency? It's one thing to be able to trust yourself that you can be coherent. When I communicate that I trust myself, that I can that I can conduct emotional literacy, that I can help you understand how I feel. It's another thing to be able to really trust yourself to be vulnerable. And it's, I, I understand more and I feel a humble realization that this is, this is the work that I'm personally learning right now and that I feel that anybody in the dojo of conscious relationship is learning right now. It's, we're in this really interesting time, I believe, that it's it's not about getting it right anymore. It's not about the it's not about being as nonviolent as possible in our communication. It's not necessarily about being able to say the right thing. I feel that we as a human race are just getting our collective body is getting more and more sensitive. And we can feel when the other person is not really letting the mask letting the mask down and really letting themselves be felt and so for me radical transparency means i am first of all absolutely transparent with myself transparent with like transparent as in like my skin is so thin to myself mm-hmm. and in that space i allow you to also feel me too and that's yeah that's what i feel radical transparency is it's can we move beyond the the need or the desire to get it right as lovers and can we can we be absolutely captivated with the desire to be very real with each other and this feels also very different to like um radical honesty because i feel mm. uh, i feel that I mean, maybe this is a little bit radical of me to be a bit anti-radical honesty, but I feel that um, what we perceive as honesty isn't necessarily the truth. Um, And I feel more curious about truth than honesty. That's what I feel radical transparency is, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I I like that a lot. I appreciate the, the, you know, rather than getting it right, can we... Can we be aim at real? It's mm-hmm. A bit like it's like a mutual recognition that you're you're in the practice together, mm-hmm. right? And and that I think requires a degree of yeah understanding that there's there's going to be mishaps, there's going to be mistakes, and you know f- feelings will be felt, and that's not about not feeling the consequence, but it, I think it also is a kind of willingness to lean in, mm-hmm. right? When it when it's rich to do so and continues to be. And to understand that, yeah, we're, we're in a, a process of, I don't know, of healing necessarily, but maybe that's part of it. But isogeny, you know, together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've heard, it takes relationship to heal wounds of relationship. And so mm-hmm. um, that requires others. And oftentimes, like I've seen in places like Tamara, a whole community, right, mm-hmm. to actually hold often the intensity that healing actually requires, right? Mm-hmm. That That is often too big for just 
you know, two lovers to navigate on their own. Mm -hmm. And so I think as well, I see you cultivating this, uh, this uh, wake of community as mm -hmm. well behind you, right? Or these little practice pods is sort of my sense, right? As you're, as you're going about on your, your quest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm happy that you speak to that because in order to hold the weight of radical transparency, I mean, transparency is so radical. And in a way, I feel like we need just the same way that uh, I feel like Tamara also works on this principle. You know, they work with the the, the forum method. Did you, did you do much mm -hmm. forum when you were there? Did you did you? Oh yeah. Dive into yeah. that method. I've actually I've actually I've actually co-facilitated it for a number of years here in North America as well. Mm, oh, badass! Yeah. So this this that 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 feels like that's radical transparency in motion, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, it's a bit of a lightning in a bottle, right? That that it requires a degree of certain self-awareness, certain degree of uh, precision, you know, to, to navigate these like some, sometimes often complex psychosomatic, you know, spaces. Um, it, it's like, yeah, we're also in a time where not many folks of the former generation have done this, have subjected themselves to this kind of tempering. And so, you know, it is this place of how do we not too quickly step into the seats, which rightly would have been filled by elders, right, who kind of hold a ballast of these kinds of things. And, and it's not for the youth to say, you know, we, we, we're now the elders. It's not that, but can we hold that seat open and say, okay, maybe, you know, maybe someday I'll occupy that seat because I've been willing to be in the fire, you know, for a lifetime uh, seems to be part of what's asked of us today. Mm. Yeah. And so in order to hold the weight of radical transparency, I feel that it requires a community. So this it's a tender dance because as much as I feel that there is, you know, the crucible of two people, the crucible of a, let's say the, cru the, the, the healing crucible of a, let's say a monogamous um, couple of two people, I feel that although that crucible can be deeply healing, I feel that there is something necessary about a community being able to hold the, the weight of transparency as well. I think because we are still learning, I mean, even though you are um, a future elder, a co-facilitator uh, person, in a way it's like there's, we still, we, we need so, we need a community to really hold, to really hold the progression of this because it is so progressive to be transparent still. I mean, I feel like we're the first with the first wave of, of humans really relating in this way, perhaps, you know, I feel like we had polyamory for a long time, but did we have transparency for so long? I feel like that's quite new. Mm. Well, this is, again, we could really go off on round two episode, but uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, there's some threads here to pick up on and for folks to perhaps wonder about and to uh, leave comments on, you know, here in the, in the sub stack and the rest. So, Maybe we'll leave it there for now. Such a pleasure. Melissa, thank you for your time. Thank you, Ian, so much. Such an honor. And thank you for sharing the research from your, you know, your quest, your splunking into the mysteries of the deep feminine and, and returning with treasure for all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mythic Masculine. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and share on your social media. Once again, you're also invited to find The Mythic Masculine on Substack. You'll be able to subscribe to forthcoming episodes as well as become a paid supporter. Visit themythicmasculine.com supporter to learn more.